There are five times more hires made through Indeed.com than any other job site. Imagine a lottery that had five times more winners. A Sunday with five times more touchdowns. When you're hiring, it makes five times more sense to use Indeed. Right now, we're giving new users a $50 credit to post a sponsored job on the world's number one job site. Claim your $50 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. On this episode, we'll be examining the booming marijuana industry. With 25 states and the District of Columbia currently having laws legalizing marijuana in some form, the industry is showing no signs of slowing down. But just how far has it come and how far does it need to go in order to be a viable investment option? My guest today has been studying these questions for more than 15 years as a leading attorney, entrepreneur, and consultant in the cannabis industry. Today, we're sitting down to discuss everything from medical legalization to recreational legalization to investing in the industry. Please welcome the new president of Tiwanat Life Sciences, Robert Hunt. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. All right, so the first question I have to ask you, did how did you get into this business? I mean, uh, you know, when you think about you know legalization of marijuana, I, I don't think you went to school for that. So how did you decide, hey, I want to get in this, I want to raise a fund, and I want to get into the, to the business and all of the offshoots that are going to be as part of this industry? Sure. It was a, uh, it was a slow migration for me. Initially, it came about uh, during my third year of law school. I decided to do an independent study on what, what I thought would be a great legal question of our generation that hadn't been answered yet. And... Uh, what I decided to hone in on was the disparity between state and federal laws that pertain to medicinal cannabis back in 2006. So at the time, there were you know 11 states with medicinal cannabis laws in the books, and each one of those laws was in direct opposition to the federal government's position that cannabis was a Schedule One drug with no medicinal value and a high potential for abuse. Mm-hmm. And so I really looked at um, each of the states that actually made the plunge and said, we're going to thumb our nose to the federal government and we're going to implement laws, whether they like it or not, that allow for patients to access cannabis. And then I looked at what the federal government's position was uh, in response. And I looked at a lot of the, the federal court rulings that were coming out of the Supreme Court or a lot of, uh, a lot of them out of the Ninth District in the West Coast and put together about a 100-page report on this and in the process got to know a lot of the people at the Marijuana Policy Project and the Drug Policy Alliance and Students for Sensible Drug Policy and Americans for Safe Access and all the other advocacy groups that were working within the, uh, the cannabis framework of trying to change laws either from a social justice perspective or from a medicinal perspective but uh, we're dedicated full-time to either you know, fixing drug laws in general or more specifically around cannabis law. Yeah. So that was 2006. I graduated law school in 2007. I moved out to Colorado where I'd lived out in the West Coast. You know, during my uh, earlier years in college, I knew a lot of people that had been on sort of you know, the darker side of, of the cannabis industry. And I happened to move to Colorado right as this massive migration was about to happen from the dark to the light. And I had a lot of friends that were approaching me going, you're kidding me, you just graduated law school and you understand the cannabis industry. And, you know, we've got these new laws in the books in Colorado that allow for us to uh, 
cultivate on behalf of, uh, of different patients as a caregiver, but we're now looking at, you know, what the law is allowing for based on the court ruling that happened in 2006 that allowed for people to caregive for more than just five people, which is what the initial law was. So you had sort of this quasi-movement of, you know, can we open a, a retail storefront or can we, you know, grow a large commercial cultivation? And the people that were doing it were saying, you know, we need help. From a legal perspective, we need help. So initially, I was approached to be a partner in quite a few of these businesses, and I didn't want to do anything that would risk my professional licensure. So as a result, uh, I took a, a, a arm's length approach and said, okay, you know, I'll help on certain things as far as you know business formation, and I'll you know consult for you or help out with you know whatever it is you guys need that doesn't actually tie me to your business. But I watched it for two years, you know, until about late 2008, and I realized that I really wanted to enter the industry. It was, it was too well codified at that point to deny, and I thought that it was a, a really interesting opportunity to take a look at an industry that I knew would be huge. So, but so, you, but from a, from a grower perspective, I don't know what you mm-hmm. were doing beforehand, but you yeah. you were not you were not into this side. I mean, you didn't have a farming background or or um, mm-hmm. you know a, a chemical background of any kind. I would say that you would typically look at. Is that am I correct mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. But I, I did have, you know, as, uh, I've always been um, into gardening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known a great deal about uh, organic methodology of, of how to how to so garden. So, were you grow? Were you I, growing this stuff before, before it became legal yourself, personally? Personally, no. Yeah. I was I was working with uh, I was working uh, well. It would it, be difficult to um, to say one way or the other as far as was it my garden? But I mean, yeah, was I was I playing in people's grow rooms? Did I yeah. know enough about cultivating cannabis. Yeah, I knew a great okay. deal about cultivating. Cannabis. Well, I'm just trying to you know so, look. I think this is the new gold rush. I mean, without question. Yeah. I think when you sit here and look at it, the tax, taxing, you got 25 states, District of Columbia, currently have laws, you know, and it's going to be more and more and more. I think mm-hmm. it's it's just wide open. My own home state of sure. South Dakota hasn't, uh, you know, agreed to this yet. Um, you know, yeah. although it grows wild, really? I mean, I find it on my ranch in South Dakota. I, sure. You know, I mean, yeah. you look at what's happening in South Dakota, and you've got an attorney general uh, named Marty Jackley who is, you know, very, very opposed to the uh, any sort of change in the cannabis legislation. And he went after the Santee Sioux tribe with a great deal of, of fervor and vigor yeah. to make sure that, you know, there was nothing uh, done on Native American lands, which had been, you know, allowed for by the Justice Department in order to, you know, say, hey, if you guys, you, sure, you can do it on the reservation, but the second you leave the reservation with any cannabis, we're coming after you with the full force of South Dakota law. Right. And uh, it, honestly, I don't, I don't disagree with Jackley's position on, on doing that. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, different states have... have different feelings about it and, and what you're talking about that grows wild on the ranch is you know it's basically industrial hemp it's, it's it, really, well it's industrial because they used to grow it for rope during the war right exactly. uh, the, the exactly. second world war is the one i'm talking about i can remember yeah. my wife's grandfather or grandfather talking about the fact they used to grow hemp and well yeah we'd find yeah. it we find it growing along the creek i found a 10 foot plant the other day i took down and it's yeah. it's an industrial version of it's still the same stuff i mean yeah, right. Just no, no THC. I mean, yeah. you, you can smoke it all day long, and it's not going to get you high. It's yeah. basically, you know, what will be called uh, ditch weed, which you find along, you know, the I eighty, I ninety corridor, you yep. know, ten feet off the highway. You, you see it growing wild. Yeah, and I'm I, uh, I live right off of I ninety, not very far. So that's yeah. uh, exactly right. But yeah, we, do we describe this, uh, Rob? I mean, would I say this is the next gold rush? No, I think it's a very accurate statement. But you know, when 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 you think about the gold rush, the gold rush was. Um, uh, you know, a massive movement of people that were were you know opening a new frontier. The difference the difference you have with cannabis is this is an existing industry that's been around as long as you know I've been around. I mean, uh, 
Well, it's, pretty, it's an industry. Well, do you say the legal portion of it or the illegal no, no, portion? No, 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 no. The, the, the illegal, but but all we're yeah. going through right now is an orderly migration from an illegal uh, industry to illegal. You know, the the big difference is that you know when you think about alcohol prohibition, it, prohibition was only a very short period of time. So there was nobody that you know when when prohibition ended in 1933, there was nobody that didn't remember it being legal previously. Cannabis has had 80 years of prohibition, and as a result, you know, there's almost no one that remembers cannabis not being illegal. So for us, it's, it's such a foreign thing. But you think that through history, uh, you know, sans this really short period of 80 years, cannabis has always been part of the fabric of, of all societies, mm-hmm. you know, and it was part of the American pharmacopoeia for years and, uh, until, you know, the 1930s when it was made illegal. It was made illegal for, you know, ridiculous reasons. But, uh, but before that, you know, you look at some of the major drug companies that still exist today, like Lilly, and they had cannabis-based medicines. So, you know, we're really going back to to what was previously believed to be a, a medicinal benefit, an efficacious plant, and something that, you know, certainly didn't uh, rise to the level of, of jailing our citizens over their use. Well, so you know, uh, it, I, you refer to it, you're always referring to it as cannabis. Is that a kind of a conscious effort, and rather than just saying pot? No, I mean, it's technically the, the proper the, word It's the it. right word for it, right? So Yeah, you know, it's... But it, but, it, but it probably does help to when you refer to it in the way you do, and you're very, very eloquent in the way in which you use the words that you use, uh, which, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll, I'll give you those kudos. But, it, I mean, if I said the pot industry, I think more about the illegal trade. If I say the cannabis industry, I think more about the legal trade. Right, yeah, and, you, and then you can take it a step further, and you can talk about the cannabinoid industry, which is, you know, one step past that, which is what the active ingredients of cannabis are. Uh-huh. And when you think about where, you know, the medical side of this industry is heading, it's it's much more on the cannabinoid side than it is even on the on the cannabis side. Well, I want you yeah, to tell me really the difference. Like, give me a second. Let me take a break, and then I want you to tell the difference because I'm I'm I'm, I'm learning, and I'm also going to tell you that I've come a long ways from where I used to be on this issue too. So let me come back to that. Um, I have a question for all my male listeners. Have you ever wished you had a pair of silver underwear or shirts? I, I laugh. I, I I'm so I'm like a 14 year old when I do this sometimes. But <laughs> but I'm talking about I'm talking about that are naturally anti my Microbiral. What the heck is that? I can't even, I can't even say that. The, the ones that eliminate odor, that's what I'm talking about. We're using big fancy words here today. So if so, you need to check out MacWeldon.com. I'm loving these guys. They're smart designs. They use premium fabrics so that you can be stylish and comfortable and you don't smell. So seriously, uh, we'll, we'll be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, under undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants that you ever wear. Visit MacWeldon.com and use the promo code BUSINESS because we're all business here. Use business. You type that in. Okay, and you get 20% off. So, and I, hey, I'm sitting here using it right now. So, love these guys. So, what's the difference between the two different terms? Or the benefits, sure. maybe? What's the different benefits from the two different terms? Yeah, so when, when, when you talk about cannabis, you talk about the entire plant. You talk about um, uh, when people refer to it, you know, from a, from a medicinal standpoint, they talk about the entourage effect. And the entourage effect is, you know, the different... Uh, terpenoids, flavonoids, and cannabinoids that make up the active ingredients of the cannabis plant. One is, uh, you know, terpenoids refer to uh, more the, um, the the smell and the flavonoids to the flavor, and then the uh, cannabinoids to the active ingredients. So when you think about, you know, THC, which is the one that everyone knows, that's what gets you high. That's, what you, that's, the, is, that's the one that most people are referring to. When you talk about pot or cannabis, it's right. THC, yeah. It's THC, and THC is a cannabinoid. 
And so THC comes in different varieties. There's THCA, which is the acidic version. There's THC uh, Delta-8, which is a less psychotropic version. There's THC Delta-9, which is what most people look at as, you know, that's the uh, active ingredient that gets you high. There's THCV, which occurs only in plants in sub-Saharan Africa. So there's, there's all sorts of different cannabinoids, even in the THC family. And then there's also CBD, which has gotten a lot of attention recently for the antispasticity uh, effects. There's CBC, which has um, uh, properties that are anti-inflammatory. So there's different cannabinoids that do different things. When you think about what the active ingredient of you know, any drug is, you're isolating uh, compounds or isolating molecules. In the, in the cannabis plant, there, depending on who you speak to, you know, there's many as 111 different cannabinoids that have been identified. So the key here uh, from a medical standpoint is saying, okay, well, let's try to figure out a way to isolate each of these compounds and then try to figure out a way, you know, A, let's figure out what this cannabinoid does, and then B, let's figure out what it does in conjunction with other cannabinoids. Does, you know, A and B knock each other out? Do A, B, and C together work better? Uh, then if you add in a terpene profile or a flavonoid profile, what is it that causes, you know, the greatest good for a specific ailment? So let's say a patient that has multiple sclerosis, theoretically, they're probably not going to have the, the same medicine as a patient that has epilepsy. And what we're seeing right now in the cannabis industry in general, when you talk about the, uh, the medical cannabis industry that exists, let's say, in, uh, in Colorado or in you know, Washington or in Oregon, uh, when you get a doctor's recommendation, the doctor doesn't say to you, I want you to take this specific variety because it has this genetic profile, and I want you to take 50 milligrams of it per day, you know, and this is how you're supposed to use it. They say, I think you'd be better off using cannabis than not. And then you go into a dispensary, and the person behind the, uh, the counter at a dispensary has no medical training. They're not a pharmacist. And then they say to you, well, what are you looking for? You know, what, what's your desired effect? And they can talk about, you know, this, you know, a sativa dominant or an indica dominant strains and what the effects will be. But they won't say to you, you know, this, this um, strain, let's call it, I don't know, OG Kush or headband, has a specific profile that's going to... Uh, work specifically for whatever ailment it is that you have, nor can they ask you about that ailment because it violates HIPAA. Well, so, well, so uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, what do they do? Because I, now, you're, now you're making a case for why I don't like the law. So, Because I would expect a doctor to tell me this is what I need to take and then mm -hmm. go to this place and then they know what that is, right? Right, right. I mean, you, you think about like when someone you know, has an antidepressant, it might take two or three times before the doctor says, that's the right one for you. You know, they might have to adjust the dose. They might have to adjust, you know, which which brand you're using. Or, and that's true of, of most other medications. Is that because so, we don't know enough about it, or is just that's well, just because we don't know enough about the effects of any drug on anyone? It, it's well, it's a combination of things. Obviously, every person's physiology is different. So, you know, what works for you might not work for me, even if we have the same ailment. Uh, but more importantly, you know, cannabis has been a Schedule One drug since 1973, I believe, when uh, when Nixon created the, the Controlled Substances Act. Mm -hmm. And when he did, Schedule One essentially prohibits any clinical trials or any uh, sort of laboratory testing or um, uh, studying of a plant. You know, you, like um, you know, research universities aren't able to study the cannabis plant because of the CSA uh, rating of Schedule One. Because it's a control, so, it's a controlled substance, and if you possess it, you're up shit creek, basically. Well, technically, for a long time, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, was, it was scheduled. It was the highest level of designation that you could have, as far as you know, that was considered to be a dangerous substance. But as more and more research has been done on it, mostly in other countries, you know, I looked at the Czech, Czech Republic or Spain or Israel or Canada as countries that have you know gone through a great deal of studying of the plant, and a lot of that research has now made its way back to the United States, and a lot of research now is being done in the states that have legalized cannabis on a state level, where they've said, okay, you know. 
despite the designation, we're going to continue to move forward. And now you're getting information coming out of, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics or out of the, um, the U.S. government's uh, cancer site, cancer.gov, that are talking about, you know, specific cannabinoids and what they do. So, so when... I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to interrupt. So you made the comment that, you know, as states move from dark to light, as we move the industry from dark to light, do you think this is enlightenment that we're now realizing that because of, like, these old policies of the 70s, because of the classification of, of it as such a, a severe uh, narcotic or drug that now we're starting to see the real benefits of this and that's the reason why we're loosening up or is it, or is it money that's driving this? No, I, th- I think the, the word you used, enlightenment, uh, one that I, I'm probably going to start putting in my vocabulary when I discuss this, when, you know, on the same level as like an Immanuel Kant or a Voltaire, you, you, you're now seeing uh, so much research come out. Of Rob, that's Rob we're digging the, deep with these with the terms, yeah, we, the term, no, a, terms and references. I, I'm impressed. I didn't think it would be this deep, <laughs> but this is good. <laughs> no, but I'm serious. What, what, what we're seeing right now in, in the industry is uh, – and obviously, there, there is a profit motivation for some for some people. For others, there isn't. You know, a lot of people are still out there specifically because they want to help patients. But, but they're, without a doubt, their company is making money. But the, the important thing to take away from what's been happening in the last 10 years is that the research is being done, and you are starting to see things where there's medical breakthroughs that are being seen. What, what the next step is is to start honing in on what the combinations of cannabinoids are that, that create a desired effect. And that's what we haven't seen to date. But we are on the cusp of, of, of watching massive breakthroughs on a, on a medical level and from an efficacious level of, of what's going to uh, alleviate pain or what's going to help shrink tumors or, you know, things that are already being shown to happen in a laboratory setting. I expect to see uh, become much more mainstream in the next five years. And a lot of that's, you know, just taking the general acceptance on a state-by-state uh, level. And uh, as new states come online, the, the period of of adjustment is a much shorter epoch than it was for some of the uh, the early pioneer states because their neighbors are already doing it. You know, you take you take New England for example, and all six New England states have uh, medicinal cannabis laws in the books in one form or another. And as they start, you know, moving towards uh, the, the southern seaboard, you know, you've seen Ohio and Pennsylvania just uh, enact laws this summer. You know, from from Washington D.C. to Maine now, every single state along the way has a medicinal cannabis uh, law in the books. So it's a, it, it's a much greater uh, level of acceptance, and now people are saying, well, how do we, how do we take it to the next level, which is uh, isolating compounds and isolating combinative compounds for, uh, for, for drug development? And that's where it becomes really exciting. All right, hang on for two seconds because I do want to get back to that as well because um, I think it does think it has a lot of possibilities we didn't know. We don't know what we don't know. So, But you, you mentioned some of the states in the Northeast, so I want to bring in my friends from Duncan. Um, this is something I love. I'll tell you, I love to have one of my favorite brands as a sponsor of All Business with Jeffrey Hazlitt. When I'm ready for a coffee break, it can only be Duncan. I love Duncan. I love uh, I love all the blends, all the coffees they have. You go in, you know what you're getting no matter which Duncan you walk into anywhere in the country or, quite frankly, around the world because they're worldwide. As America's largest retailer of coffee by the cup, their rich and bold uh, blends hit the spot for me every single time. America truly runs on Dunkin', so don't forget to swing by your local Dunkin' and pick up a cup. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, send me your cup or mug. You send me a mug, I'll take a picture of you and put it on uh, on Facebook or on Twitter, and we'll send it out to a few million people so that uh, you get a little plug for your, your business, your organization, your college, university. I don't care. Just get it to me. Uh, go to my website. You'll pick it up. Over 3 million businesses use Indeed.com for hiring. 
Five times more hires are made through Indeed than any other job site. By creating the easiest, most effective hiring experience, we help businesses find great new people every day. Right now, we're giving new users a $50 credit to post a sponsored job on the world's number one job site. Claim your $50 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. world jeffrey hazlett hosts all business brought to you by dunkin donuts so um you know i gotta tell you rob i i was really kind of anti uh marijuana period like don't let states legalize this and then i went to a a, a talk that billy hayes do you know who billy hayes is i do not know uh, so billy hayes was the subject of a movie in the 70s called midnight express and he went. He was he was trying to smuggle some hash into the United States. Got caught and and spent time in a Turkish prison. And he finally escaped. And of course, he was brutally, you know, everything you can imagine in this Turkish prison. All because the guy smoked a little weed. And you know, I heard his story. I went to a speech. Listened to him. And that's what turned me. And I said, man, people shouldn't have to go through this just for that. And for, you know, for doing something that I, I you know, I, hey, look, I drink scotch. I, I enjoy myself. And I just thought, man, this is ridiculous. And then when I start seeing all the medical benefits that we're starting to hear as a result of us developing it as a more um, refined, um, targeted drug, then I started thinking, man, we should really be opening up this a lot more and we should regulate it. So are you, would you advocate for non-regulation? Would you advocate that it would be totally, should be totally opened up? Or are you saying take it in stages? You know, so you just raised two completely uh, different rational reasons for changing policy. Yep. And the first reason is from a social justice perspective that you don't want to see people incarcerated for using a rather innocuous substance. Yeah. You know, like, you're, like yourself, I, I enjoy scotch as well. Mm-hmm. And I look at a scotch bottle and I think if I were to drink this entire bottle of scotch, the, the effect is I probably die. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I can look at a I, I can look at a huge bag of cannabis and I can smoke it to like my heart's content. And the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to probably fall asleep, right? And I, and I look at the the disparity between those two things. Every time I pass by a liquor store, I look in there and I think, wow, they, these guys are the drug dealers. And I don't mean that in a negative way because I use alcohol. You know, I, I take a a very um, open approach as far as what people feel. Yeah, but like bodies. everything, everything we should do in moderation. So, period. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't advocate you smoke a whole bag of pot either. So, uh, uh, you know. I wouldn't exactly. But, yeah. but I'm also not looking for a paternal society that tells me exactly what I can and can't do I'm, all the time. I'm for that yeah. as well. Although, when yeah. but when you impede on my rights or impede on my ability to do other things, then I have an issue with that. So, right. And, and, and you should and, pay and, a price for that. And, and, and that's why I believe you know it's the second part of you know your statement is. Am I open, you know, to, to total deregulation? No, and, and no more than I am to say that, you know, you shouldn't have uh, drunk driving rules. You know, right. there's, there's got to be rules Correct. around uh, people being sober when they're performing jobs that involve heavy machinery or involve children or involve, you know, safety concerns. I don't, I don't care what the substance is. If it's uh, psychoactive in any sort of way or can impair your ability to, to do things, 
now of course you know you recently had the study from the American Highway Association that you know looked at how how safe drivers are when they're uh, when they're high uh, using cannabis and actually came back that um, surprisingly that they are no less or more dangerous than uh, than they would be otherwise which I found almost otherwise meaning with alcohol or with no, no, no. By by comparison to sobriety, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I would. I don't know that I, I, I would agree with that. But that's okay. I, it, but you made no, the point. You made the point. I'm okay yeah, with that. Well, well, my 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 point is, I didn't agree with it either. But it came out of a government agency where I was like, they've gotten. You know, you think that they would err to the side of of trying to find the the worst case scenario to to put out to the public, and I was like, wow, that's you know surprising. So uh, anyway, I would I would certainly advocate for having sensible policy. And sensible policy, you know, meaning uh, that if you're if you're using this medicine, that uh, has to be properly labeled. It has to be, uh, you know, shown to how many milligrams are in it, what exactly is contained. You know, it has to be a clean uh, medicine where there's, you know, it's free of contaminants or residual solvents or heavy metals or pesticides. Uh, that I'm absolutely for on the med- on the medical side. The same way I expect that any other medicine that I purchase in a pharmacy or otherwise is uh, is safe. Uh, then you look at the nutraceutical industry, which you know you're going to see a cannaceutical industry come up, and that industry will be you know significantly uh, large in size as well, and that will be you know your your topicals, your salves, your creams, your sublingual strips. Is, you know, is, other the, things is that stuff being done in the states, or does that have to be done elsewhere? That's already being done. You're you're already seeing. You know, the, when I look at the medical industry as it stands today, in, in most of the U.S. states, 25 U.S. states that have legalized. For the most part, you know they haven't le- they haven't risen to the level of having exact science on the uh, um, dosage yet. Most of what I'm seeing is much more akin to what you see in the nutraceutical industry, where it's you know borderline regulated but not FDA approved um, packaging and substances, right? So w- when I look at what the future of the cannabis industry is, we see it trifurcated between you know three specific subsectors, and one is the adult use recreational. Which, speaking to your, you know, your story of uh, Midnight Express, mm-hmm. it's the people that want to get high and want to enjoy themselves, and you know, have a, a, an alternative to drinking a glass of Chardonnay in the evenings, or, you know, a way to uh, enjoy themselves um, before they go to bed. You know, it's, it's that's that's the recreational industry, and you're going to see a lot of new products come out that don't involve combustion, don't involve smoked product, and that will be, you know, literally the orderly migration from the black market to the legal. Use recreational, which should be a fifty to seventy-five billion dollar a year market. You think in it's in, instead of smoking, I'll be taking a pill? No, I think I think you'll be using a vaporizer. I think you'll be using um, uh, different um, methods of ingestion, whether it's edibles products, whether it's um, uh, concentrate. Is there an injectable? Would it be an injectable? No, there's no, not, not. Hopefully, hopefully never. Yeah. Uh, but but definitely not now. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, it's not something you, you're not putting it directly in your bloodstream. For the most part, you know, cannabis is fat soluble, so you're trying to figure out a way to get it into your uh, to your fat cells. Uh, so there, there's a hundred different ways to uh, to use cannabis, and it's a question of how quickly you want the uh, the onset to be. And you know, smoking obviously provides a pretty quick onset, but there's other ways to do it. There's ways, you know, through the the capillaries underneath your tongue to have immediate onset as well. Whereas you know, edibles products have a, a 35, 40 minute onset. So you know that industry. We're already seeing 50% in, 50% of the sales going across the the register right now in the legalized states are already in alternative means of consumption rather than you know smoked flowers or, you know, or smoked joints. So you're, you're going to see that side of the industry. You're going to see the cannabisutical side, which is going to be your your creams, your topicals, your salves, other products that uh, will be you know used to for sleep aids or for um, uh, you know anti-inflammatory reasons or. Whatever, whatever it is you're trying to use it for. And then you'll see the pharmaceutical side, and the pharmaceutical side will be very, very specific 
to you know what we already see as far as a traditional FDA or DEA pathway to get a drug through uh, clinical trials and get it to the uh, get it to the user where it can be specifically geared to an ailment with um, very uh, narrow uh, parameters around what the use is for. And that's going to be something that's done in a laboratory. It's not necessarily going to even involve a harvest. And uh, it's going to be done in a way that, you know, you're going to be able to take cannabinoids that don't occur in nature in, in large quantities and develop them where you can produce them in, in you know, multi-kilogram quantities and then separate them. I guess and, and like, a, like a super pot. Well, like a... Um, like, you know, if, if I say there's 111 different cannabinoids out there, you can produce every one of those in the laboratory environment, and that's a question of what combinations you want to you want to use. And you know, and you think about how many different combinations there are of you know 40 numbers on a lotto ticket. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's almost infinite. And you start thinking about you know, if someone says to you, I, I want to produce a uh, a drug specifically for multiple sclerosis, and from what we've seen anecdotally, we believe the best ratio is you know 20 parts CBD to five parts THC to three parts CBN. You're going to be able to go to a, a company that produces cannabinoids like Not Life Sciences, where, where I'm going to work, that is uh, able to produce that combination for you and sell it as a as a licensed um, compound. Got it. If that makes sense. Yep. No, it does. So let me let me take another break, and then I want to come back to the money side because I think that's uh, that's where the root of most of this is in terms of its growth. Yep. Um, and I think that's where states are looking. Quite frankly, I think they're looking at it reduces their total cost of implementation mm-hmm. in terms of restriction. And then I think at the same time they're looking at a windfall. So, well, I want to talk. And speaking of money, I want to talk about my good friends at Liberty Tax. They're on board here at All Business. Liberty is the fastest growing retail tax preparation firm. They're the biggest. They got over four thousand offices across North America and it's a great seasonal franchise opportunity so if you're looking to get into the business add another service to your business or just great tech uh, tax prep services think about Liberty and and the other thing I want to add too while we're talking about tax is uh, efficiencies I'm talking about emails SaneBox my friends at SaneBox don't forget them they'll help you go to www.sanebox.com forward slash and type in Hazlet special offer give you a couple weeks free on this email tool I you've heard me talk about it before it's my secret weapon it learns my email sorts it for me I wake up in the morning and I only have a few of these and all day long it, it takes care of my email and I get to you know tag on there like hey I want to reach Rob who I'm talking to today when I'm tracking him down I can if he doesn't get back to me I put one day at SaneBox it pops it back in my email box the next day saying hey Rob has got back to you um so that not that rob did that but anyway that's that's sanebox.com forward slash hazlet so what's i want to talk about the money i said this is a new gold rush so now people can invest right they can invest in all this stuff they can invest in in, in it legally and you've been out raising money to do that yourself in a fund so is that is that can anybody now do this because I, I, I look at some of the traders on, on NASDAQ. I hear that they've been a little skittish about marijuana stocks. So what do you what would you tell to somebody that's looking at investing? Well, the, the first thing about investing is every single state that's out there operates in a vacuum. There is no continuity from state to state. So when you have someone that says, hey, a buddy of mine you know, did really well. He invested in a dispensary in Colorado and you know, made a ton of money. And you're living in Connecticut, and you go, great, I'll invest in a uh, dispensary in Connecticut those two laws might be completely different. And for an investor to, to say, you know, I'm going to make an investment based on what I heard of, you know, other people in other states, there's some states that, you know, from an investment standpoint are really attractive, and there's some that are, you know, absolute zeros in my mind. 
So you have to understand the legislation. You have to understand uh, what the program is that you're investing in. You have to know what part of the industry you want to invest in, whether it's a cultivator or a processor or a dispenser, uh, a paraphernalia maker, or someone that sells you know, hydroponics gardening equipment. There's a ton of different places to invest in this space, but you have to really, really, more than any other industry I've ever seen, do your homework to understand where it is you're investing because, you know, 25 different markets represent 25 completely different uh, opportunities. Well, more than 25. Think about all the combinations of that. But the other the other piece of it is, how do I know that the group that I want to invest in this area? I mean, could I, I, again, I have been approached by a number of people to come to me and say, hey, Jeff, if you want to get in on this. And, of course, it's mm-hmm. not my thing. So I've said no. You right. know, I only yeah. invest in things that I can control. That's just always been my way of doing it. That's my business. But a lot of other people do it differently. And so how do I know I can trust you? How do I know I can trust the person that's doing this? And it's not somebody that's doing something on the dark side, but doing it yeah. on the, in, in the light, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a great question. And it's one that, you know, it's, uh, again, it's part of a, anyone's diligence process that they, you know, conduct proper diligence. The first thing you're doing is if you're anyone that's directly touching the plant and, uh, you know, or, or as we call it, crossing the green line, anyone that's, uh, that's investing in a company that does that, the first thing you want to do is go to the state that they're, you know, that the company is operating in, and speak to whatever the legislative body is that controls it. So whether it's the Department of Revenue or the Department of Public Health, or whoever it is that's been anointed by the uh, the state to say, okay, this is your program, and you want to find out if these guys have ever been sanctioned, if you audited them, you know, what, what's what's the reputation of this company, and you want to ask a ton of questions. You know, you want to make sure that you're pulling the last three years of tax revenue. You want to make sure you're comparing those against the POSs and any uh, any uh, end of day. Um, uh, paperwork that's coming out, you literally have to tear someone's books apart to make sure that uh, what they're doing is on the up and up and that everything comes back um, kosher. Yeah. And if it doesn't, you know, there's a huge red flag and, and you walk away. Uh, and, and if someone's not willing to provide that information to you as a potential investor, you know, don't even consider it. Are there so, are there funds available? I mean, where you're, I mean, maybe yours is one of those. I don't know. I'm asking this question because mm-hmm. I don't. I'm one of ignorance, and so I want to want to be enlightened. So, um, yeah. is there are there funds available that there, there are people who take care of that for me? But I know that this is an area mm-hmm. that I do want to invest in, and I think it's 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 one. It's legit because you can do it. Two, that they're going to yeah. fund legitimate organizations and legitimate places mm-hmm. where I think it's got better, uh, safer bets. And I don't want to learn all this stuff. I just want to be a part of it. Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the company that I, that I formed uh, called Tuatar Capital is the largest private equity fund in the You know, I think uh, just over $90 million under management. Uh, they make it equity investments of, you know, 4 to $7 million into companies directly. And for the investor reason, we were so successful at raising capital was because uh, there are a lot of realize that this diligence process for them is Herculean and that they don't really want to go through it. And if they've got four full-time fund managers, they're doing nothing but completing that diligence and making sure that everything is uh, is above board with these companies. It's a great weight off the shoulders of someone that otherwise would be making direct deals. Yeah. So yeah, there there are some funds out there. There's a few others, uh, you know, other than than Tuatara that have been successful. Some of them operate in the space of you know doing real estate deals. Others uh, operate where they directly you know will invest in companies that touch the plant. Others will will only invest in ancillaries or only invest in you know uh, consumer enterprise software. But, you know, there's there's probably in traditional funds at this point, there's probably maybe $350, $400 million that's already been dedicated in different pools of capital to uh, the space. But then on top of that, you probably have, you know, another close to a billion dollars that's been put to work 
uh, on direct deals from you know specific investors or groups of investors that say, hey, let's you know put together ten million dollars and let's allocate it across you know three platform companies. And I, I know we're so, talking about millions, and you mentioned billion, but still, and that's it's we're still in baby. This is baby steps. I mean, it's baby steps. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we we, we did. Five point eight billion dollars in legal uh, cannabis sales in two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. Uh, we'll be over seven billion dollars in, in legal sales in two thousand sixteen. That's still small industry. Small industry compared to what's yeah. out there, right? That's yeah. one if they make it legal. So in terms of taxation, I mean, it's it's going to be huge. But I think the the upside benefits on the other side, the pharmaceutical side, the nutraceutical side, is going to mm-hmm. far outweigh the other things that we see. It, it, when, when it's all said and done, we're, we're talking about an industry between you know the pharmaceutical, the, uh, the the pharmaceutical, and the adult use recreational. That I would put somewhere in the 150 billion dollar a year range, which is you know, that's a real industry. Yeah, that's no, that's a real industry. That's uh, it's like saying that's the print industry. That's like saying that's a lot of other industries that would love to have those kind of numbers. Hey, Rob, I appreciate it. Thanks for and hey, let's use our word today for an enlighten me, uh, enlightening all of us on a little bit of this background and and uh, what's a new industry. And I think I might want to come back and circle back with you and see how it's going, and uh, and talk a little bit more. I think it's uh, it's gonna th- there's gonna be a lot of debate on this for a while, and it ain't over. So thanks. No. It, it's not. Thank you so much for, uh, for for taking the time with me. I've really enjoyed it. All right, brother. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, at the end of every episode, I like to talk about what I learned. And, you know, you already heard my personal views. I was really against this. And um, I changed. I changed by listening to a speech. It was a speech, and then I read uh, Billy's book. Um, but more than that, I started looking around at some of the staggering statistics about marijuana and why we are incarcerating so many people, and this could free up a lot of that just for smoking some weed. But let's set that aside. What did I learn? I'll tell you what I learned. I want you to think about this as you start to examine this yourself, and if you're thinking about investing, first look inside yourself at your values, and does it conflict with your values? Because if it does, then you certainly don't want to do that. But if it fits inside of those values, this could be a really good investment. At least my belief it's going to be a fairly good, because it's at the crux. It's at the very beginning, the baby steps. I talked to you, we said a hundred, couple hundred million. We talked about a billion dollars. This is going to be huge. It's going to be in the big billions, and I got to believe that more and more states are going to go. Now, that's my prediction. The second thing, with anything, be smart. Be smart about your investment. I think I would go to look at people who are doing this right and who are doing it on an ongoing basis, and I'm not going to look at these one-off things. That's me, personally, but you decide for yourself. Those are the things I think you got to take a look at. So, um, and, you know, if you don't want to do it, hey, no no hard feelings. All right? No hard feelings. And speaking of no hard feelings, do me a favor. Pass this on to others that they can listen to this show, All Business. That's where we talk about things, All Business. That's what we're talking about today on the legalization of cannabis. And this has been All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on CBSPlay.it and on iTunes. And pass it on to your friends. Thanks so much for listening. of what's happening in the business world. Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.